Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the All Saints podcast. For those of you who are watching on video, uh, please pardon once again the slightly more formal attire. Yes, it is Sunday morning, about 45 minutes before worship. Uh, but again, I'm not preaching today, so I've got a little bit of time here. And I wanted to just say a few words, and it really will be a few words, on a subject which has uh, prompted some questions that have come my way via email. Uh, because some of you who inhabit the social media world, you know who you are, um, have encountered uh, something of a controversy uh, over some eschatological matters uh, among uh, American Reformed Christians in the last few weeks or so. Uh, and this has prompted some questions. Now, um, what I'm certainly not going to do is to try and untangle all the different threads that lie behind this. I'm afraid it seems to have become slightly political as well as theological. Uh, it's, uh, the issues are potentially quite complex, at least they've become complex because of some quite important, or not important, some quite problematic confusions which have entered in. But at its heart, the controversy is quite simple, and I want to try and highlight uh, what the massive issue at the centre of it is and where we stand or where we should stand on that issue. And the reason I say where we should stand is because often uh, controversies like this have the effect of prompting ordinary Christians who are not involved in it at all and shouldn't really worry about not being involved in it to think, OK, hold on, what is it that we believe about this issue and why do we believe it? And so there is, at that level at least, a pedagogical benefit to at least scratching the surface here. It may be necessary, as I said, to go a bit deeper at some point in the future, but I'm certainly not going to do that now. The controversy concerns uh, a prominent Christian teacher who is the director of a, a fairly well-known American uh, parachurch ministry, who has been accused of believing hyperpreterism, hyperpreterism. And uh, it has been said this is a very serious problem, not consistent with Christian faith at all. Uh, and that's actually true. If uh, this gentleman is a hyperpreterist, and what that means I'm going to define in a moment, then that is a very serious problem. But in order to define what hyperpreterism is, which is a problem, I need first to define what preterism is, which is not a problem. Preterism refers to a view of the interpretation of a particular biblical text which regards the referent, the thing referred to in that text, as being in the past. Let me say that again. Preterism is a view of a particular biblical text where we say the thing referred to in that text has now happened, it's in the past. It follows from that that if one is a preterist, and all of us are preterists at some level, before you can say, are you a preterist, the question must be asked, well, on which texts are you a preterist? All of us, for example, are preterists on Genesis 12. The thing referred to in that text has already happened. All of us are preterists on... Uh, Genesis 38, and all of us are preterists on Exodus 20. All those things that describe events that have happened in the past, we all interpret those as referring to events which are in the past. Things get a little bit more tricky when we start looking at texts where, from the point of view of the text itself, the author is looking to the future. Prophetic texts are examples of uh, texts like this. And so, Again, if you think of Isaiah 53, well, all of us are preterists on Isaiah 53. All of us think that the thing referred to in Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, has already happened. It's in the past. And many other biblical prophecies, forward-looking texts, lie in that category. So here's an important point. All of us are preterists on some, in fact, many, many prophetic texts. 
The debate over preterism really centers on texts where interpreters are not sure whether the thing referred to lies in the past. And the most significant cluster of texts that uh, fall into that category, there's actually several dozen texts like this, are texts in the New Testament which some interpreters think are referring to events surrounding the final judgment and the resurrection of the dead, which still lies in the future. And other interpreters consider that those texts refer to events which took place around AD 70 with the fall of the Old Covenant people of God and the destruction of the Jewish temple by the Roman armies and so on and so forth. So when you hear the debates about preterism, not hyperpreterism, but preterism, really what you're hearing people debate is, let's take a text like Mark 13, got my Bible here, I was going to flick to it, Mark 13, the so-called Olivet Discourse, it's uh, obviously in, the, in Matthew and Luke as well, but consider it in, in uh, Mark 13. And Jesus comes out of the temple and one of his disciples says, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, you see this lot, not one stone is going to be left here standing on another. They're all going to be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? In other words, Jesus here asks a question about the temple and it sorry, the disciples ask Jesus a question here about the temple and its destruction. They say, when, it's, when are these things going to happen? And on this text, the debate centers on whether Jesus is answering that question, when is the destruction of the temple going to take place? And if so, uh, is he answering that question all the way through um, Mark 13? Or does he change the subject at a certain point and start talking about another day that lies in the future for us now, the final judgment and the resurrection of the dead. And if he does so, if he at some point in here changes subject and stops talking about the temple and its destruction, which is a question that he's asked, and starts talking about the last day and the resurrection of the dead and the final judgment, at what point does he change from answering the question about the temple and asking, answering another question about the final judgment? And if he changes, does he change at a particular moment or is there kind of blending together where he's sort of talking about two things in the middle of the chapter and so on? Okay, so you can see, if you go away and read Mark 13, you can see we might have a very fruitful and interesting debate about whether the uh, text refers to the destruction of the temple in AD 70 or whether it refers to the final judgment on the last day. And just in case you want to know my opinion on this, I think all the way up to verse 31, it's referring to the destruction of the temple in AD 70 using prophetic language and so on. And from verse 32 onwards, where Jesus changes the subject, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. And so on, he goes forth, he goes on from there to the end of the chapter. At that point, he's talking about uh, the final judgment and the resurrection of the dead and all the events associated with that. So you can see what we could do is uh, we all know that we're preterists on some texts. The question is, are we preterists on these prophetic texts which speak about the future from the point of view of the author. And we're probably going to come down in some instances where we'll have some disagreement here and there, but um, at a certain point we will um, think, yeah, these texts refer to events in the past, other texts refer to events in the future. And the, the dividing line might shift between us. That's the debate that takes place on the subject of preterism. Right, so then, what's all the fuss about? The fuss is about what has come to be known as hyperpreterism, or what its advocates call consistent preterism or full preterism. 
The full preacherist position is that every single text in the New Testament, as well as in the Old Testament, refers to events which have now taken place. Every text should be interpreted preteristically, if that's a, a word, which I don't think it is. Uh, you can see why its proponents call it full or consistent preterism, because they're saying, well, we consistently apply this a hermeneutical approach to these um, individual texts. And in fairness to them, they'd want to argue on the basis of each individual text that it refers to events that are now in the past. Um, critics tend to call it hyperpreterism because they regard it rightly, in my view, as a distortion of biblical teaching. And the reason is very easy to see. If you think that the whole of the New Testament refers to events that are now in the past, hyperpreterism, then that would include texts which do actually talk about the final judgment and do actually talk about the resurrection of the body on the last day. And that's problematic because that would mean that a hyperpreterist would be saying there is no future resurrection of the body, there is no future final judgment still to come. And that's the problematic position. The problem with that is not that it clashes with our confessions of faith. The problem with that is it clashes with the Catholic creeds, Catholic with a small c, that is to say the, the very early uh, statements and summations of Christian faith which are agreed on by all Christians, Catholic and Protestant and Orthodox. That's the problem with hyperpreterism. Now, uh, what's happened in this instance is the debate has taken place mainly online with predictable consequences. Firstly, a whole bunch of people who've got involved in it who probably shouldn't have got involved in it. Um, the proper place for addressing uh, a situation in which a professing believer comes to deny the resurrection of the dead and the final judgment is within his church and if he's employed by a Christian organization with uh, his employer. It's also reasonable, I would have thought, that um, friends of his who weren't either in his church or um, uh, the company he worked for would also uh, talk with him about this. But the appropriate place, it seems to me, to deal with matters of this kind is in the the organism, so to speak, the community that God has given us for safeguarding and upholding the faith is the church. And so uh, presumably, and I don't know, which is why I'm not going to comment on it, but presumably um, the uh, elders and the pastor of this gentleman have been talking with him, I would hope so, um, just to clarify what his views are. And the reason is because at that church, just like this church, just like any Christian church, somebody who said, I don't believe in the resurrection of the dead and I don't believe in the final judgment, couldn't with a clear conscience say the creed. And so, of course, though they'd be welcome to come to the church, like any unbeliever would be, uh, they wouldn't be able to be a member of the church because they're, they're not able to profess the basic commitments of Christian faith. And so, in the end, if they insisted on claiming to be a Christian, they'd have to be excommunicated because that's what you say to somebody who claims to be a Christian but is living or believing things which are inconsistent with that. So that's the first thing that I'd want to say. The, the, the way in which this debate has taken place is kind of inevitable in the modern world that it should take place in this kind of way, but um, it's unfortunate. And it, there's a lesson for us all to learn here. The first lesson for us to learn is um, that we should be uh, alert to the distinction between things that are our business and things that aren't. Um, and so uh, from my point of view, I don't feel the need particularly to comment on the the individual concerned. I do want, though, to take the opportunity, because of the confusion that the debate has caused, even if it's caused it through circumstances which are regrettable, you know, the online debate phenomenon and so on, I do want to take the opportunity to say, yes, actually, it is a fundamental 
aspect of Christian commitment that we are not hyperpreterists because we do believe positively that 1 Corinthians 15, for example, has not yet been fulfilled. There remains a future resurrection of the body that lies ahead of us and doesn't isn't in the past. That's the first thing. Second, just briefly, um, uh, what's happened in consequence of the online character of the debate in part, but also just, I think it probably would have happened anyway, so it's not quite fair to blame the online character for this, is that the, um, the specific problems with this theological uh, error, hyperpreterism, which are anti-creedal, the, the denial of the resurrection of the dead and the final judgment, have been tangled up with other problems that it tends to be associated with. And this is understandable. Any particular theological view on any individual matter is connected to convictions on other matters as well. We don't have views in a vacuum. If you think one thing about the resurrection of the dead and about the final judgment, that's like that uh, position is likely to propagate through your systematic theology, the framework of Christian belief that you hold, and it will affect other viewpoints as well. So what that means is that hyperpreterism is now starting to become confused with other uh, claims which, though wrong, are not wrong in the same way or to the same degree. So, for example, somebody who's a hyperpreterist might have uh, a particular view about the character of Adam's first sin or the, its effects in uh, bringing death into the world. Uh, and that view might be right or wrong, but it's not the same kind of right and wrong as the anti-creedal denial of the resurrection of the dead and the final judgment. Um, similarly, um, preterists tend, in large part, I think, because of the quirkiness of their views, to have fairly low views of church authority um, and uh, to regard um, uh, institutional mechanisms of church oversight and so on um, to be less significant than we ought to regard them as. Now, I think that's a mistake. It's, it's problematic to um, undermine uh, or to disregard the authority of properly ordained and appointed church officers and pastors and so on. And I say that knowing the slight discomfort of knowing I'm talking about myself there, but I'll tell you the truth, even when it does affect me, uh, it's problematic to disregard and undermine that, but it's not problematic on the same level as a denial of the resurrection of the dead. So, for example, a brethren Christian, a Christian raised in brethren circles, who, who had a conscientious uh, uh, discomfort with the idea of ordained pastors and teachers and uh, elders and deacons and so on, um, actually, I'm not sure that they have a problem with deacons, I, but, but uh, if, you're a, if you have a brethren friend, get them to call me and correct me if I've got that wrong. But, but certainly, um, many uh, in the brethren movement have a, have a problem with uh, the structure of ecclesial life as Presbyterians embody it. Well, they would be most welcome to, to be a member of our church. That would not be a problem. It'd be a problem if they made a big fuss about it, but then it's the fuss that's the problem. And it'd be a problem if they weren't willing to uh, accept and live peaceably with the, the mode of church life that we enjoy and experience here. But then again, it's that that's a problem. Somebody who held erroneous views on, let's say, church government or even on the sacraments, which again is a feature of some hyper-preacherist theologies, those things can be problems without being raised to the same level of seriousness as the core hyperpreterist errors, which are the denial of the resurrection of the dead and the denial of the last judgment, both of which lie in our future as we are here in March 2023. On which note, I think that's probably enough to be going on with. Like I said, there is a huge amount of complexity that's grown up around this. 
but I don't intend to comment on that now. And uh, I realize that um, you may have other questions. And as I've said many times before, this podcast is aimed squarely at people at All Saints. So if you have questions or concerns or things that you're not sure about, then please don't hesitate to get in touch. Give me a call. Uh, drop me an email. If you're outside All Saints, go talk to your pastor or your elders. Um, if you uh, really, really, really feel the need, you can give me a call, but probably the first thing I'll tell you to do is go and talk to them. Um, but on the subject of resurrection of the dead and the final judgment, we're going to go and profess faith in those things, among many other things, as we gather for worship. I'm looking forward to Pastor Neil preaching and all the other things that we'll be doing in worship today. Uh, so the Lord bless you, and I look forward to being with you again next week. Bye for now. <laughs>